0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back on another episode of the Macro Compass in a video format rather than on my newsletter, which is free, by the way. So if you prefer that format, you can check that one out too. The article of the week is called FX Markets Are On Fire. And they really are on fire. The FX Vigilantes are back. And that's an important news. We have seen wild moves in several currencies around the world. And mostly they have one common denominator, which is weakness against the dollar. Now... I want to take a step back and try to explain why such dramatic moves. And from a global macro perspective, for the last 20 plus years, developed market economic models were based on a two tier system of cheaply available leverage. The first tier was low cost economic inputs, which were based on a just in time global supply chain. And this combination was used as leverage to generate non inflationary growth. So perfect in-time supply chains, low cost inputs, growth can be delivered and it's a non-inflationary growth, which also helps central banks uh, keeping rates very low. And the second tier is the relentless debt creation, credit creation, both in the public sector and in the private sector at lower and lower borrowing costs. And this leverage has been used to feed the wealth effect, right? Asset prices go up, house prices go up, we feel richer, et cetera, et cetera. Now, such an economic model was used for basically many developed markets across the world, from Germany all the way to Korea, and can work wonders as long as there is no exogenous shock to the system. Right now, actually, there are plenty of exogenous shocks which are hitting both sources of cheap leverage. Energy inputs are going up, supply chains are disrupted, inflation is going up, which is forcing central banks to raise interest rates, and therefore the credit creation at lower borrowing cost model doesn't work anymore. Now once you have such a complex system that is based on two different tiers of leverage and you apply stress to that the resulting pressure will look like we look for a release valve of some sort and currencies are one of the obvious candidate. So the pickup we have seen in FX volatility seems scary but it also brings a lot of opportunities because guys not all countries sit exactly in the same boat and all of a sudden fundamentals matter again. So in this article, we try to provide a framework to assess where the uh, FX vulnerabilities can be or strengths can be in different countries around the world. And what are the implications of what's going on in the FX market translated into other asset classes and in portfolio allocations. So if you want to think about FX vulnerabilities, one easy way is to ask yourself, where was the two-tier leverage system applied the most extensively? And where are policymakers credibly able to stop the bleeding, which is caused by these exogenous shocks. Now you can have a bunch of indicators pulled up together and give you an idea of where the vulnerabilities and the strengths are. And what I chose to look at are the following six indicators. The first is current account deficit. If the value of your goods and services that you need, so the one that you import from abroad exceeds the one that you export abroad, you have a current account deficit. If you also are a net debtor, to the world, so basically you owe the world more than the world owes you in terms of financial um, balance. You have a so-called net international investment position, which is negative. So you are a net debtor to the world. If you have a current account deficit, you need stuff from the world. And the combination of both generally is not a great position to be to handle external shocks from a currency perspective, especially if you also plan to make a large use of fiscal deficits on top of that. And hello, UK, I'm talking to you. Now, private sector debt is something that adds to the problem, because if you have a very high private sector debt, it's also very likely that your central bankers will not be well-equipped to tighten monetary policy to offset this shock. When it comes to strengths, so what can offset uh these potential weaknesses, basically it's the amount of net foreign reserves you have and the central bank or policymakers' willingness and ability to credibly tighten monetary policy and fiscal policy. Because successfully overcoming these shocks requires a wide array of policy making decisions and First of all, if you want to defend your effects from depreciation, you need to have literally net foreign exchange reserves that you can deploy in percentage of GDP and in percentage of your imports so that you can literally fight or uh, the war or stop the bleeding. And the second is policymakers' credibility. So they need to be willing and able to credibly tighten. Now, I put all these six indicators together to give you guys a visual snapshot of 10 large currencies around the world. And I color code them to rank them in this, in this framework. And you can see that, you know, there are some strongholds, for example, like Switzerland or some Nordic European countries, but mostly speaking, Euro and the sterling are really, really exposed because they have current account deficits. They have a fiscal balance, which is not great. They have a lot of that vulnerabilities. Especially the UK has not much FX reserves available to actually defend the sterling. And policymakers are not very, very credible in tightening policy. And in the UK now, also fiscal largesse is being implemented. But if I move around the world, also in Japan, China, Australia, for example, there are pockets of weaknesses. So why don't we look at three interesting currencies in more details? Let's discuss about Japan. So in Japan, the question is, when is the yield curve control ever going to stop? And Japan has been running QE forever, and one, and, you know, a couple of years ago they decided to uh, move their focus to pinning ten-year Japanese interest rate at 0.25%. Now, Japan has current account and fiscal balances which are really not particularly healthy, and its leverage is also very large. And as interest rate differentials between Japan, which pegs ten years at 0.25%, and everywhere else in the world, have been widening there has been one loud question that markets are asking. When will the yield curve control end? And the answer to that question is in this chart, and it has to do with incentive schemes. Because if you look at the Japanese core inflation over the last 20 years, it has averaged minus 0.2%. Minus. So Japan on average has been on a core deflationary trend for the last 20 years. And also inflation expectations as captured in blue in the chart by inflation swaps, have barely managed to trade above 1% over the last 20 years. And on average, they have traded roughly around 0.5%. So we are talking about a very weak history of generating any inflation at all. And incentive schemes here are very important. Kuroda will end his term in spring 2023. He's the chief of the Bank of Japan. And he won't easily give up on, uh, on easy monetary policy, especially if he gets one last chance to declare victory as inflation is slowly picking up in Japan. Now, that means that if you ask me, the yield curve control is not likely to stop anytime soon. But given Japanese vulnerabilities to the exo- exogenous shock and uh, you know the, the, the weaknesses that we talked about before, the markets can't use bonds as a release valve because the Bank of Japan is spinning them they'll be testing the Japanese yen, right? So the question here is, is the Ministry of Finance ammunition in Japan and the credibility enough to temporarily defend the Japanese yen against foreign uh, devaluation? And the answer is yes. Japan owns 1.3 trillion of gross foreign exchange reserves, which is, if you net them out uh, and you look at the net amount they own is $1 trillion, that's 20% of GDP And it would cover for one and a half years and more of imports. So Japan has a lot of buffer to defend their currency, and they've started to use that. One point I want to make is, does this mean Japan will sell treasuries? Well, if you look at the table I put up there, the first thing they will do is they will deploy the deposits that they have at foreign central banks. So that's $136 billion. It's a pretty decent amount. They'll be using that first and then later on consider selling treasuries and other bonds they have. The bottom line is that Japan is definitely vulnerable to external shocks, but the policymaker incentive schemes and the fact that they have a very large amount of effects reserves could actually end up frustrating people being short the yen or short the Japanese government bonds for quite some time until they're proven right. The second country I want to talk about is Switzerland. So Switzerland is a very interesting uh, country at this stage. They score very well on the FX framework dashboard because they have a healthy current account and fiscal position, and have an extremely large amount of foreign exchange reserves accumulated since 2008. Look at the chart. We're talking about almost $900 billion, which is less in nominal terms than Japan, but we're talking about 120% of GDP. So 20% in Japan, 120% here. The reason why they've accumulated all these FX reserves as shown in the chart was to import inflationary pressures from abroad and weaken the Swiss franc. So you sell your Swiss francs, you buy foreign assets, mostly denominated in euro and dollar. Nevertheless, despite having accumulated almost 1 trillion in reserves in the last 15 years, the Swiss franc has kept appreciating against the euro just to prove how strong structurally would be that currency because of the the tailwinds that uh, that are described in the dashboard above. Now, the Swiss National Bank composition of these FX reserves is very interesting. They have 25% in equities. They don't have much uh, deposits at foreign central banks. They mostly have securities, bonds and equities owned mostly in dollar and in euro. And inflation has been picking up in Switzerland, but the Swiss National Bank is a very orthodox central bank. They've accumulated a lot of FX reserves, even invest them in equities, And now the same orthodox approach will lead them to be very credible in hiking interest rates and pushing inflation down. And most importantly, they now wish for a stronger Swiss franc and they have all the ammunition in the world. So they are credible when they tighten policy and they have a huge amount of FX reserves. And if and when they want to use them to strengthen the Swiss franc and import some disinflation this time into Switzerland, they can actually make quite some damage by selling German, French bonds, US bonds, US equities, European equities. The bottom line is that the Swiss franc is a pretty decent place where to be right now in allocating into long effects positions, in my opinion, because both the policymakers are very credible in their stance, and also they have a large, very large amount of FX reserves that they can use to strengthen the Swiss franc. On the other end of the spectrum, we have the third country I wanna talk about for a second, which is the UK. Now the UK has quite a problem here. They are experiencing like basically everybody else an exogenous inflationary shock, but look at the setup they're going through that with. They have a very poor and worsening current account balance. They are a net debtor to the world in terms of financial balance. They have non-negligible private sector debt vulnerabilities. Think about the mortgage market, we'll cover it quickly in a second. They have one of the lowest amounts of net foreign exchange reserves as percentage of GDP and imports across developed markets. It's really, really little. And the new government elected is pursuing fiscal largesse and a central bank that would try and offset that now was basically forced to intervene in the market to backstop the domestic pension fund system. So with such a setup, the market is going after both the release valves, the sterling and the uk bonds at the same time which basically as you can see in the chart is the market saying to the uk you owe us both from a current account and a financial account perspective we won't be happy to fund your external deficit positions at today's levels of sterling and real yields we need to be rewarded we want the cheap sterling we want higher bond yields to keep supporting you guys now when we talk about the debt vulnerabilities, which make the story even more complicated, let's let's have a chat about the UK mortgage market. It's a very interesting one because it's skewed towards very short-term fixed rate mortgages. So look at the chart. Until 2017, roughly 70% of mortgages were concentrated in below five years uh, tenor. Now, what does this mean? This means that effectively, there will be, according to my estimate, roughly 1.5 to 2 million UK mortgages that need to be refinanced already in 2023. And these mortgages have been locked in at 2% mortgage rate on average. And now, because of the Bank of England attempt at raising interest rates and because of mortgage rates going up, they will need to be refinanced at 6%. From 2 to 6%, it's quite an increase. On top of it, you have a Bank of England that, is trying to tighten at the short end, but needed to rescue the domestic pension fund system. And I will make a a separate article to explain exactly the mechanics behind that. But it is effectively hurting its very own reputation and credibility by being forced to intervene and backstop the pension fund system on the back end. So the credibility from policymaker perspective is very low, and there is a bunch of deficits, uh, both from a current account and a financial account and vulnerabilities in the private sector, and very low amount of FX reserves, Bottom line, the UK is in a very, very precarious position. So we have now looked through a framework to analyze effects across the world. You can apply those not only to the 10 currencies that I highlighted in the table, but to many others. And we talked about the yen, the Swiss franc, and the sterling. Now, when it comes to general uh, portfolio implications, what I would like to say is that the comeback of FX volatility can actually add as an additional headwind for a long only portfolio. Because some countries like China or Japan or Switzerland might opt to defend their domestic currencies, which means using their sizable effect reserves, which in this case means selling the foreign assets and buying back your currency to strengthen it. And now they own quite a lot of these assets. True, they will start from deposits at central banks, not necessarily selling bonds or equities, But at some point, the potential selling pressure, especially on the five to 10 year part of the government bond area, could actually have an impact, further uh, basically hitting the prospects for risk assets to perform right here. So this reinforces the big picture. Stay defensive, as defensive as you can. By the way, the Bank of England didn't pivot, guys. They just acted as the lender of last resort. They were basically forced to backstop the domestic pension fund system. There is nothing bullish about having to backstop your domestic pension fund system. Now, if you want to know more about the portfolio location, the tactical trades I'm doing, much more information about this and anything that has to do with macro, you can just have a look at the themacrocompass.substack.com. It's free. I publish once a week. It's a newsletter that has accumulated over a hundred thousand people by now. I really appreciate your support guys. And we'll talk again next week here on BlockWorks.